Section 1 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott, 1754 to 1829. Section 1. The story of Beder, Prince of Persia, and Jehanara, Princess of Samandal, or Samander. Part 1. Persia was an empire of such vast extent that its ancient monarchs, not without reason, assumed the haughty title of King of Kings. For not to mention those subdued by their arms, there were kingdoms and provinces whose kings were not only tributary, but also in as great subjection as governors in other nations are to the monarchs. One of these kings, who in the beginning of his reign had signalized himself by many glorious and successful conquests, enjoyed so profound a peace and tranquillity as rendered him the happiest of princes. The only point in which he thought himself unfortunate was that amongst all his wives not one had brought him a son, and being now far advanced in years, he was desirous of an heir. He had above a hundred ladies, all lodged in separate apartments, with women slaves to wait upon, and eunuchs to guard them. Yet notwithstanding all his endeavours to please their taste and anticipate their wishes, there was not one that answered his expectation. He had women frequently brought him from the most remote countries, and if they pleased him, he not only gave the merchants their full price, but loaded them with honours and benedictions, in hopes that at last he might be so happy as to meet with one by whom he might have a son. There was scarcely an act of charity but he performed, to prevail with heaven. He gave immense sums to the poor, besides large donations to the religious, building for their use many noble colleges, richly endowed in hopes of obtaining by their prayers what he so earnestly desired. One day, according to the custom of his royal predecessors, during their residence in their capital, he held an assembly of his courtiers, at which all the ambassadors and strangers of quality about the court were present, and where they not only entertained one another with news and politics, but also by conversing on the sciences, history, poetry, literature, and whatever else was capable of diverting the mind. On that day a eunuch came to acquaint him with the arrival of a certain merchant from a distant country, who, having brought a slave with him, desired leave to show her to his majesty. "'Give him admittance instantly,' said the king, "'and after the assembly is over I will talk with him.' The merchant was introduced, and seated in a convenient place, from whence he might easily have a full view of the king, and hear him talk familiarly to those that stood near his person. The king observed this rule to all strangers, in order that by degrees they might grow acquainted with him, so that when they saw with what freedom and civility he addressed himself to all, they might be encouraged to talk to him in the same manner, without being abashed at the pomp and splendour of his appearance which was enough to deprive those of their power of speech who were not used to it. 
he treated the ambassadors also after the same manner he ate with them and during the repast asked them several questions concerning their health their journey and the peculiarities of their country after they had been thus encouraged he gave them audience when the assembly was over and all the company had retired the merchant who was the only person left fell prostrate before the king's throne with his face to the earth wishing his majesty an accomplishment of all his desires as soon as he arose the king asked him if the report of his having brought a slave for him was true and whether she were handsome sire replied the merchant i doubt not but your majesty has many very beautiful women since you search every corner of the earth for them but i may boldly affirm without overvaluing my merchandise that you never yet saw a woman that could stand in competition with her for shape and beauty agreeable qualifications and all the perfections that she is mistress of where is she demanded the king bring her to me instantly sire replied the merchant i have delivered her into the hands of one of your chief eunuchs and your majesty may send for her at your pleasure the fair slave was immediately brought in and no sooner had the king cast his eyes on her but he was charmed with her beautiful and easy shape he went directly into a closet and was followed by the merchant and a few eunuchs the fair slave wore over her face a red satin veil striped with gold and when the merchant had taken it off the king of persia beheld a female that surpassed in beauty not only his present ladies but all that he had ever had before he immediately fell passionately in love with her and desired the merchant to name his price sire said he i gave a thousand pieces of gold to the person of whom i bought her and in my three years journey to your court i reckon i have spent as much more but i shall forbear setting any price to so great a monarch and therefore if your majesty likes her i humbly beg you would accept of her as a present i am highly obliged to you replied the king but it is never my custom to treat merchants who come hither for my pleasure in so ungenerous a manner i am going to order thee ten thousand pieces of gold will that be sufficient sire answered the merchant i should have esteemed myself happy in your majesty's acceptance of her yet i dare not refuse so generous an offer i will not fail to publish your liberality in my own country and in every place through which i may pass the money was paid and before he departed the king made him put on a rich suit of cloth of gold the king caused the fair slave to be lodged in the apartment next his own and gave particular orders to the matrons and the female slaves appointed to attend her that after bathing they should dress her in the richest habit they could find and carry her the finest pearl necklaces the brightest diamonds and other richest precious stones that she might choose those she liked best the officious matrons whose only care was to please the king were astonished at her beauty and being good judges they told his majesty that if he would allow them but three days they would engage to make her so much handsomer than she was at present that he would scarcely know her again the king could hardly prevail with himself to delay so long 
the pleasure of seeing her, but at last he consented. The king of Persia's capital was situated in an island, and his palace, which was very magnificent, was built on the shore. His apartment looked on the water. The fair slaves, which was near it, had also the same prospect, and was the more agreeable on account of the seas beating almost against the walls. At the three days' end, the fair slave, magnificently dressed, was alone in her chamber, sitting on a sofa, and leaning against one of the windows that faced the sea, when the king, being informed that he might visit her, came in. The slave, hearing somebody walk in the room with an air quite different from that of the female slaves who had hitherto attended her, immediately turned her head about to see who it was. She knew him to be the king, but without discovering the least surprise, or so much as rising from her seat to salute or receive him, as if he had been the most indifferent person in the world, she put herself in the same posture again. The king of Persia was extremely surprised to see a slave of so beauteous a form, so ignorant of the world. He attributed this to the narrowness of her education, and the little care that had been taken to instruct her in the first rules of civility. He went to her at the window, where, notwithstanding the coldness and indifference with which she had received him, she suffered herself to be admired, caressed, and embraced, as much as he pleased. In the midst of these amorous embraces and tender endearments, the king paused a while, to gaze upon, or rather, to devour her with his eyes. "'My lovely fair one, my charmer!' exclaimed he. "'Whence came you, and where do those happy parents live who brought into the world so surprising a masterpiece of nature? How do I love thee, and shall always continue to do? Never did I feel for a woman what I now feel for you. And though I have seen,' and every day behold a vast number of beauties, yet never did my eyes contemplate so many charms in one person, charms which have so transported me that I shall entirely devote myself to you. My dearest life, continued he, you neither answer, nor by any visible token give me the least reason to believe that you are sensible of the demonstrations I have given you of the ardour of my passion." Neither will you turn your eyes on me, to afford mine the pleasure of meeting them, and to convince you that it is impossible to love in a higher degree than I do you. Why will you still preserve this obstinate silence, which chills me? And whence proceeds the seriousness, or rather sorrow, that torments me to the soul? Do you mourn for your country, your friends, or your relations? Alas, is not the king of Persia who loves and adores you, capable of comforting you, and making you amends for every loss. Notwithstanding all the protestations of love the king of Persia made the fair slave, and all he could say to induce her to speak to him, she remained unaltered, and keeping her eyes still fixed upon the ground, would neither look at him nor utter a word. The king of Persia, delighted with the purchase he had made of a slave that pleased him so well, pressed her no farther, in hopes that by treating her kindly he might prevail upon her to change her behaviour. He clapped his hands, and the women who waited in an outward room entered. He commanded them to bring in supper. 
when it was arranged my love said he to the slave come hither and sup with me she rose from her seat and being seated opposite the king his majesty helped her before he began eating himself and did so of every dish during supper the slave ate as well as the king but still with downcast eyes and without speaking a word though he often asked her how she liked the entertainment and whether it was dressed according to her taste the king willing to change the conversation asked her what her name was how she liked the clothes and the jewels she had on what she thought of her apartment and the rich furniture and whether the prospect of the sea was not very agreeable but to all these questions she made no reply so that the king was at a loss what to think of her silence he imagined at first that she might perhaps be dumb but then said he to himself can it be possible that heaven should forge a creature so beautiful so perfect and so accomplished and at the same time with so great an imperfection were it however so i could not love her with less passion than i do when the king of persia rose he washed his hands on one side while the fair slave washed hers on the other he took that opportunity to ask the woman who held the basin and napkin if ever they had heard her speak one of them replied sire we have neither seen her open her lips nor heard her speak any more than your majesty has we have rendered her our services in the bath we have dressed her head put on her clothes and waited upon her in her chamber but she has never opened her lips so much as to say that is well or i like this we have often asked her madam do you want anything is there anything you wish for do but ask and command us but we have never been able to draw a word from her we cannot tell whether her sorrow proceeds from pride sorrow stupidity or dumbness the king was more astonished at hearing this than he had been before however believing the slave might have some cause of sorrow he was willing to endeavour to divert and amuse her accordingly he appointed a very splendid assembly which all the ladies of the court attended and those who were skilful in playing upon musical instruments performed their parts while others sung or danced or did both together they played at all sorts of games which much diverted the king the fair slave was the only person who took no pleasure in these attempts to amuse her she never moved from her place but remained with her eyes fixed on the ground with so much indifference that all the ladies were not less surprised than the king after the assembly was over every one retired to her apartment and the king was left alone with the fair slave the next morning the king of persia rose more pleased than he had been with all the women he had seen before and more enamoured with the fair slave than ever indeed he soon made it appear by resolving henceforth to attach himself to her alone and performed his resolution on the same day he dismissed all his other women giving every one of them their jewels and other valuables besides a considerable fortune with free leave to marry whom they thought fit and only kept the matrons and a few other elderly women to wait upon the fair slave however for a whole year together 
she never afforded him the pleasure of one single word. Yet the king continued his assiduities to please her, and to give her the most signal proofs of sincere love. After the expiration of the year, the king, sitting one day by his mistress, protested to her that his love, instead of being diminished, grew every day more violent. "'My queen,' said he, "'I cannot divine what your thoughts are, but nothing is more true, and I swear to you that having the happiness of possessing you, there remains nothing for me to desire. I esteem my kingdom, great as it is, less than an atom, when I have the pleasure of beholding you, and of telling you a thousand times that I adore you. I desire not that my words alone should oblige you to believe me. Surely you can no longer doubt of my devotion to you, after the sacrifice which I have made to your beauty of so many women whom I before kept in my palace. You may remember, it is about a year since I sent them all away, and I as little repent of it now as I did the moment of their departure, and I shall never repent. Nothing would be wanting to complete my happiness and crown my joy, would you but speak one single word to me, by which I might be assured that you thought yourself at all obliged. But how can you speak to me if you are dumb? And alas, I feel but too apprehensive that this is the case. How can I doubt, since you still torment me with silence, after having for a whole year in vain supplicated you to speak? If it is possible for me to obtain of you that consolation, may heaven at least grant me the blessing of a son by you to succeed me. I every day find myself growing old, and I begin already to want one, to assist me in bearing the weight of my crown. Still, I cannot conceal the desire I have of hearing you speak, for something within me tells me you are not dumb. And I beseech, I conjure you, dear madam, to break through this long silence, and speak but one word to me. After that, I care not how soon I die. At this discourse, the fair slave, who, according to her usual custom, had hearkened to the king with downcast eyes, and had given him cause to believe not only that she was dumb, but that she had never laughed, began to smile. The king of Persia perceived it with a surprise that made him break forth into an exclamation of joy, and no longer doubting but that she was going to speak, he waited for that happy moment with an eagerness and attention that cannot easily be expressed. At last the fair slave thus addressed herself to the king. Sire, I have so many things to say to your majesty, that having once broken silence, I know not where to begin. However, in the first place, I think myself bound to thank you for all the favours and honours you have been pleased to confer upon me and to implore heaven to bless and prosper you, to prevent the wicked designs of your enemies, and not suffer you to die after hearing me speak, but to grant you a long life. After this, sire, I cannot give you greater satisfaction than by acquainting you that I am with child, and I wish, as you do, it may be a son. Had it never been my fortune to be pregnant, I was resolved 
I beg your majesty to pardon the sincerity of my intention, never to have loved you, and to have kept an eternal silence. But now I love you as I ought to do. The king of Persia, ravished to hear the fair slave not only speak, but tell him tidings in which he was so nearly concerned, embraced her tenderly. Staining light of my eyes, said he, it is impossible for me to receive greater delight than you have now given me. You have spoken to me, and you have declared your being with child, which I did not expect. After these two occasions of joy, I am transported out of myself. The king of Persia, in the transport of his feelings, said no more to the fair slave. He left her, but in such a manner as made her perceive his intention was speedily to return, and being willing that the occasion of his joys should be made public, he declared it to his officers, and sent for the grand vizier. As soon as he came, he ordered him to distribute a thousand pieces of gold among the holy men of his religion, who made vows of poverty, as also among the hospitals and the poor, by way of returning thanks to heaven and his will was obeyed by the direction of that minister. After the king of Persia had given this order, he returned to the fair slave again. Madam, said he, pardon me for leaving you so abruptly, since you have been the occasion of it, but I hope you will indulge me with some conversation, since I am desirous to know of you several things of much greater consequence. Tell me, my dearest soul, what were the powerful reasons that induced you to persist in that obstinate silence for a whole year together, though every day you saw me, heard me talk to you, ate and drank with me, and every night slept with me? I shall pass by your not speaking, but how you could carry yourself so as that I could never discover whether you were sensible of what I said to you or no, I confess surpasses my understanding and I cannot yet comprehend how you could contain yourself so long. Therefore I must conclude the occasion of it to be very extraordinary. To satisfy the king of Persia's curiosity, replied the lady, think whether or no to be a slave, far from my own country, without any hopes of ever seeing it again, to have a heart torn with grief at being separated forever from my mother, my brother, my friends, and my acquaintance, are not these sufficient reasons for the silence your majesty has thought so strange and unaccountable? The love of our native country is as natural to us as that of our parents, and the loss of liberty is insupportable to every one who is not wholly destitute of common sense and knows how to set a value on it. The body, indeed, may be enslaved, and under the subjection of a master who has the power and authority in his hands. The will can never be conquered, but remains free and unconfined, depending on itself alone, as your majesty has found in my case. And it is a wonder that I have not followed the example of many unfortunate wretches, whom the loss of liberty has reduced to the melancholy resolution of procuring their own deaths in a thousand ways, by a liberty which cannot be taken from them. Madam, replied the king, I am convinced of the truth of what you say, but till this moment 
I was of opinion that a person beautiful, of good understanding, like yourself, whom her evil destiny had condemned to be a slave, ought to think herself very happy in meeting with a king for her master. Sire, replied the lady, whatever the slave be, as I have already observed to your majesty, there is no king on earth can tyrannize over her will. When indeed you speak of a slave mistress of charms sufficient to captivate a monarch, and induce him to love her, if she be of a rank infinitely below him, I am of your opinion she ought to think herself happy in her misfortunes. Still, what happiness can it be, when she considers herself only as a slave, torn from a parent's arms, and perhaps from those of a lover, her passion for whom death only can extinguish. But when this very slave is in nothing inferior to the king who has purchased her, your majesty shall judge yourself of the rigour of her destiny, her misery, and her sorrow, and to what desperate attempts the anguish of despair may drive her. The king of Persia, astonished at this discourse, Madam, said he, can it be possible that you are of royal blood, as by your words you seem to intimate? Explain the whole secret to me, I beseech you, and no longer augment my impatience. Let me instantly know who are the happy parents of so great a prodigy of beauty, who are your brothers, your sisters, and your relations. But above all, tell me your name. Sire, said the fair slave, my name is Gulnar of the sea, and my father, who is dead, was one of the most potent monarchs of the ocean. When he died, he left his kingdom to a brother of mine, named Salah, and to the queen my mother, who is also a princess, the daughter of another puissant monarch of the sea. We enjoyed profound peace and tranquillity through the whole kingdom, till a neighbouring prince, envious of our happiness, invaded our dominions with a mighty army, and penetrating as far as our capital, made himself master of it, and we had but just time to save ourselves in an impenetrable and inaccessible place, with a few trusty officers who did not forsake us in our distress. In this retreat my brother was not negligent in contriving means to drive the unjust invaders from our dominions. One day, taking me into his closet, Sister, said he, the events of the smallest undertakings are always dubious. For my own part, I may fail in the attempt I design to make to recover my kingdom, and I shall be less concerned for my own disgrace than what may possibly happen to you. To secure you from all accident, I would fain see you married. But in the present miserable condition of our affairs, I see no probability of matching you to any of the princes of the sea, and therefore I should be glad if you would concur in my opinion, and think of marrying one of the princes of the earth. I am ready to contribute all that lies in my power towards accomplishing this, and am certain there is not one of them, however powerful, but considering your beauty, would be proud of sharing his crown with you. At this discourse of my brother's, I fell into a violent passion. Brother, said I, you know that I am descended, as well as you, from the kings and queens of the sea, 
without any mixture of alliance with those of the earth. Therefore I do not design to marry below myself, and I have taken an oath to that effect. The condition to which we are reduced shall never oblige me to alter my resolution, and if you perish in the execution of your design, I am prepared to fall with you, rather than follow the advice I so little expected from you. My brother, who was still earnest for my marriage, however improper for me, endeavoured to make me believe that there were kings of the earth who were no ways inferior to those of the sea. This put me into a more violent passion, which occasioned him to say several bitter reflecting things that nettled me to the quick. He left me, as much dissatisfied with myself as he could possibly be with me, and in this peevish mood I gave a spring from the bottom of the sea up to the island of the moon. Notwithstanding the violent discontent that made me cast myself upon that island, I lived content in retirement. But in spite of all my precautions, a person of distinction, attended by his servants, surprised me sleeping, and carried me to his own house. He expressed much love to me, and omitted nothing which he thought might induce me to return his passion. When he saw that fair means would not prevail upon me, he attempted to use force, but I soon made him repent of his insolence. He resolved to sell me, which he did to the merchant who brought me hither and sold me to your majesty. He was a prudent, courteous, humane man, and during the whole of the long journey never gave me the least reason to complain. As for your majesty, continued the princess Gulnar, if you had not shown me all the respect you have hitherto done, for which I am extremely obliged to your goodness, and given me such undeniable marks of your affection, that I can no longer doubt of it, if you had not immediately sent away your women, I hesitate not to tell you that I should not have remained with you. I would have thrown myself into the sea out of this window, where you accosted me when you first came into this apartment, and have gone in search of my mother, my brother, and the rest of my relations. I should have persisted in that design, and would have put it in execution, if after a certain time I had found myself deceived in the hopes of being with child. But in the condition I am in, all I could say to my mother or my brother would never convince them that I have been a slave to a king like your majesty. They would never believe it but would for ever upbraid me with the crime I have voluntarily committed against my honour. However, sire, be it a prince or princess that I may bring into the world, it will be a pledge to engage me never to be parted from your majesty, and therefore I hope you will no longer regard me as a slave, but as a princess worthy your alliance. In this manner the princess Gulnar discovered herself to the king of Persia, and finished her story. "'My charming, my adorable princess!' cried he. "'What wonders have I heard, and what ample matter for my curiosity, to ask a thousand questions concerning those strange and unheard-of things which you have related! But first I ought to thank you for your goodness and patience in making trial of the truth and constancy of my passion.' I thought it impossible for me to love you more than I did, 
but since I know you to be a princess, I love you a thousand times more. Princess, did I say, madam? You are no longer so, but you are my queen, the queen of Persia, and by that title you shall soon be proclaimed throughout the whole kingdom. Tomorrow the ceremony shall be performed in my capital, with a pomp and magnificent never yet beheld, which will plainly show that you are my queen and my lawful wife. This should long ago have been done, had you sooner convinced me of my error. For from the first moment of my seeing you, I have been of the same opinion as now, to love you always, and never to place my affections on any other. But that I may satisfy myself, and pay you all the respect that is your due, I beseech you, madam, to inform me more particularly of the kingdom and people of the sea, who are altogether unknown to me. I have heard much talk, indeed, of the inhabitants of the sea, but I always looked upon such accounts merely as tales or fables. By what you have told me, I am convinced there is nothing more true, and I have a proof of it in your own person, who are one of them, and are pleased to condescend to be my wife, which is an honour no other inhabitant on the earth can boast. There is one point, however, which yet perplexes me, therefore I must beg the favour of you to explain it. That is, I cannot comprehend how it is possible for you to live or move in water without being drowned. There are few amongst us who have the art of staying under water, and they would surely perish if, after a certain time, according to their activity and strength, they did not come up again. Sire, replied the Queen Gulnar, I shall with pleasure satisfy the King of Persia. We can walk at the bottom of the sea with as much ease as you can upon land, and we can breathe in the water as you do in the air, so that instead of suffocating us as it does you, it absolutely contributes to the preservation of our lives. What is yet more remarkable is that it never wets our clothes, so that when we wish to visit the earth, we have no occasion to dry them. Our language is the same with that of the writing engraved upon the seal of the great prophet Solomon, the son of David. I must not forget to inform you further that the water does not in the least hinder us from seeing, for we can open our eyes without any inconvenience, and as we have quick piercing sight, we can discern any objects as clearly in the deepest part of the sea as upon land. We have also there a succession of day and night. The moon affords us her light, and even the planets and the stars appear visible to us. I have already spoken of our kingdoms, but as the sea is much more spacious than the earth, so there are a great number of them, and of great extent. They are divided into provinces, and in each province are several great cities, well peopled. In short, there is an infinite number of nations, differing in manners and customs, as they do on the earth. The palaces of the kings and princes are sumptuous and magnificent. Some of them are constructed of marble of various colours, others of rock crystal, with which the sea abounds, mother of pearl, coral, and of other materials more valuable. Gold, silver, 
and all sorts of precious stones are more plentiful there than on earth i say nothing of the pearls since the largest that ever were seen upon earth would not be valued amongst us and none but the very lowest rank of citizens would wear them as we have a marvellous and incredible agility to transport ourselves whither we please in the twinkling of an eye we have no occasion for carriages or horses not but the king has his stables and his stud of sea-horses but they are seldom used except upon public feasts or rejoicing days some after they have trained them take delight in riding and showing their skill and dexterity in races others put them to chariots of mother-of-pearl adorned with an infinite number of shells of all sorts of the liveliest colours these chariots are open and in the middle is a throne on which the king sits and shows himself to the public view of his subjects the horses are trained to draw by themselves so that there is no occasion for a charioteer to guide them i pass over a thousand other curious particulars relating to these submarine countries which would be very entertaining to your majesty but you must permit me to defer them to a future opportunity to speak of something of much greater consequence, which is that the method of delivering and the way of managing the women of the sea in their lying in is very different from those of the women of the earth, and I am afraid to trust myself in the hands of the midwives of this country. Therefore, since my safe delivery equally concerns us both, with your majesty's permission, I think it proper for greater security to send for my mother and my cousins to assist at my labour at the same time to desire the king my brother's company to whom i have a great desire to be reconciled they will be glad to see me again when they understand i am wife to the mighty king of persia i beseech your majesty to give me leave to send for them i am sure they will be happy to pay their respects to you and i venture to say you will be pleased to see them madam replied the king of persia you are mistress do whatever you please i will endeavour to receive them with all the honours they deserve but i would fain know how you will acquaint them with what you desire and when they will arrive that i may give orders to make preparation for their reception and go myself in person to meet them sire replied the queen gulnar there is no need of these ceremonies they will be here in a moment and if your majesty will but step into the closet and look through the lattice you shall see the manner of their arrival end of section one